0: Far North Queensland is a unique paradise full of wonder and beauty. We are not only home to the tropical rainforest and the Great Barrier Reef, but we are also close to the savannah ecosystems of Australia. Today, we chat to James Botcher, who, in my opinion, is one of the best tour guides we know. James takes us on a journey, telling us some of his stories of a tour guide and shares with us his passion for the natural world, specifically Australia. James's infectious storytelling will have you booking your next tour with him at FNQ Nature Tours. Enjoy our following wild chat. Have you ever wondered how a kangaroo can live in a tree? What about crocodiles and how they can stay under water for hours at a time and not be seen? Maybe what keeps you up at night is your thoughts of how box jellyfish can be the most venomous animal in the whole world towards humans. Or is it your curiosity of what really goes on inside that caterpillar cocoon for a magnificent, stunning butterfly to emerge? Well, don't worry, as I have all your questions answered and much, much more with our following Wild Chats, I am going to bring you the most amazing guests. Hey everyone, my name is Jodie Creek and I'm a wildlife educator and huge advocate for Australian animals. And of course, the habitats and ecosystems as well. But what I'm truly passionate about is bringing you information that you need to connect with the natural world. So someone once said to me that I may not be able to change the world, but I can change the world around me. So let's hope that we can inspire you to make change at home and therefore together we do actually change the world. So get that cup of tea ready and enjoy the following Wild Chats. James, how are you going? How
1: are you guys? Awesome, enjoying the weather. Thanks we, so much for having me.
0: We have Matt here too. G'day. He didn't want to miss out on seeing your new haircut.
1: Oh, thanks, mate. I got this oh. especially for my audio interview. <laughs> yes, that's the best part.
0: Well, I'm pretty excited to have you. We made you come to us this time. So we're sitting in the backyard. We've got the tail. Well, actually, the cyclone didn't really... Cyclone Kimmy didn't really hit us. It went all the way down and it's coming back up. And we've got this like, it's 11 a.m. right now. Oh, 11 11, by the way. It's ominous. It's weird. It's a weird feeling. So apparently it's coming back up and traveling up, like along the coast, up, back up to.
2: Cooktown. Yeah, seriously, definitely
1: cannot cannot make up its mind. She has um, no idea. I love this kind of weather. This is fantastic. Just driving here along the Great Dividing Range, I couldn't stop looking to the right, just looking at all those clouds sitting on top of the
0: mountains. So. It, actually, early this morning, it was so misty here. We couldn't even see those beautiful trees and the mountains there. Yeah. So, yeah, strange feeling, but I love wet season. Absolutely love it. But anyway, we're not here to necessarily talk about the weather right now. But, everyone, so we've got James here from FNQ Nature Tours, and I'm pretty excited to have you on because, well, one, you're a friend of ours, mm-hmm. more Matt's friend. but Oh,
2: we're all friends here. Yeah. Uh, I've
0: claimed you at the moment, it's so safe. I'm like I'm going to talk to my friend, James.
2: Mm-hmm. So I'm the third wheel again. You're the third wheel. Literally every interview, on the third wheel. Well,
0: you've got to speak up.
2: Well, if you stop speaking, I might get a chance. But anyway.
0: (laughs) No, no can do. So, James, tell us a little bit about yourself, what it is that you do. Now, I did mention FNQ Nature Tours. So, I don't know. Tell us, who are you? Where have you come from? Why you do what you do? Okay. Talk to us.
1: Um, Yeah, so I'm the, the owner and operations manager of FNQ Nature Tours. We've been running small tailored wildlife and nature focused tours for about five years. The main inspiration behind being a business owner and being an operator, as opposed to being a guide, was to create something that's highly educational and highly interpretive for people from all over the world to have a great Avenue, a great platform to come out an area that might be scary, like a rainforest, you know, the largest living rainforest in the world, to uh, to come out exploring with experts and take away not just some great photos of some beautiful waterfalls or some great coastal roads, but a true connection to something much bigger that's going on around us. That's a much bigger story, which I'm sure we'll get to. But that's essentially what we do, and that's why I got into the business. Been tour guiding for 13 years, but as an operator, it's been about five years.
0: Nice. And but before that actually I heard you talking about it earlier was did you work for Adventure Tours Australia?
1: Yeah. So So you were out and that's actually where my story in the outdoors really started because As a young family, we traveled around a lot. My father was moving around as a young man himself. He's looking for opportunities for work. So we kind of moved around, we're like nomads up until I was about 12 years old. I think I went to about six different schools. So it was pretty crazy. And at the time I always thought like, man, this is not fun. But then when you're a lot older, you start to appreciate where you've been and who you've met. And then you get this great sense of gratitude. Like, oh, thanks for these really cool opportunities to live in a place like this, because it must've been hard for my dad. It was a big risk. And I know that's something he thinks about a lot. Wow, we took our family from Melbourne and we came up with the green ants and the bats and the cyclones. And <laughs> what have I done to my family, man? And it was tough. But essentially moving from somewhere like Melbourne up here, mm. that was a huge like wake up call. Like there's these amazing things going on outside. But if I just like fast forward through those years as a teenager when things really happened for me was when I was 21 I took this opportunity to work for it was actually called Oz Experience at the time mm. and they were doing 7 day trips along the east coast so I went to this interview thinking I'm at a point in my life where I need something exciting and I want to start this fun chapter let's go and do something really crazy and I went to this interview and they said oh actually we really like you could you move to Alice Springs <laughs> like how long would it take you to pack up your stuff and move out to the desert and I, I I must have spent a day thinking about it. And immediately I was keen for that. Like, this is cool. So I had my motorbike and I had this old rusty ute and I put all my stuff and the swag in the ute and I drove to the desert. And out there was like my beginning. Like I really planted seeds in tourism but also in my connection with the outdoors. Mm. That was massive. I almost felt like I felt a little bit ripped off. Like, why didn't I learn this stuff in school? Yeah. Like, oh my yeah. God, we learned about so many things in school, which yes, school's important. Kids stay in school. But there were so many things going on outside that I felt like really, really important to my soul and to my heart. Mm. And I missed all of that growing up. Mm. So yeah, it became a tour guide. I was outdoors, sleeping outside every night under the stars. You can't help but grow a sense of appreciation and love for what's going on around you and curiosity.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Can I go back to asking you a couple of quick questions in regards to you leaving Melbourne? How old were you when your dad packed you all up and left?
1: That trip, I was 12.
0: Okay, so before that, up to age 12, you kind of were travelling around. You went to six different schools. What was your intention of your... Dad. Like your dad now says, Oh, I wish I never did that. But but,
1: but, but <laughs> No, not quite. He doesn't he doesn't wish, but I think he it just plays on his mind like what oh, okay. life would have been like.
0: But what why was he doing that anyway? What was the intention? So
1: he talking? he's worked for one company almost his entire adult life. He worked for one company, Gunnison okay. Timbermark. And you know, he's got a great work ethic. He's a really good guy. He's great at managing like policies and people. Mm-hmm. So he got promoted essentially. Yeah, right. So he was working in warehouses and he's like, hey, here's a great opportunity over here. We're opening up a new store. Could you, you know, can you move to Melbourne and do this? It's like, yep, yeah. no worries. So we originally went from Brisbane to Melbourne, and then we actually went back to Brisbane, back to Melbourne. It's a bit of a roller coaster. But essentially it was just he was trying to create a better life for us. Yep. You know, he wanted the best for us kids mm. and more opportunities. Mm. So even though it was tough at the time, he felt like it was the right thing to do. And I just know because as an adult, he's talked to me about it. Like it really played on his mind when we moved up here and You know, it's like being the new kid on the block, but it's like the new kid in the tropics. (laughs) So not only is it the school, but everything is new, and you're at that age where you're like, you know, you're going to dive into life. Yeah. And it was so scary, and I had some trouble at school. You know, like wouldn't quite say bullying, but like almost. It was you know there were a few kids that gave me and some other friends a hard time and I guess I found some strength there and it worked out really good and I also made some really really good like lifelong friends Mm -hmm. but yeah that's something that dad struggled with and I have to now whenever he visits like talk to him and say hey you know that was a tough decision to make but thank
0: you. And then now that you are a parent yourself I think things change like what you said is that you look back and you go at the time it kind of sucked a bit but as an adult you actually look back and you see a different perspective that's right and especially now that you're a dad you see totally yeah. different and, and you see and qualities like
1: independence yeah. and resilience like there are certain things that just would not bother me now but mm. maybe if we had never went down this path like maybe I wouldn't have that strength or I wouldn't have that exactly capability. and
0: that, that's what I was going to come back at is that things like that actually set you up for where you end up being and yeah. like you know it, it's it all kind of has that wonderful high in but at the time you have no idea
1: I may have never moved to the desert yeah because you know comfort zone I yep. like this this is what I want to do and yeah so I'm very thankful now for the decisions that dad made when we were growing up
0: absolutely absolutely so 12 years of age you moved up to North Queensland and
1: oh my god can I tell you a story oh yes <laughs> this they is so-
2: literally the only this is podcast.
1: something this is something that I it's like my first memory of being in Cairns oh, yes. like I always remember the first cyclone and I always remember the first you know Crazy storm and whatever. But, and the fruit, like going to Rusty's markets and oh, like, where is all this fruit? This fruit is unbelievable. What is a sour soursop? But the thing that I'll never forget is that our neighbors, when we moved in, were Torres Strait Islanders. And I don't think I'd ever had like close contact with Islanders or Australian Aboriginal people. So I'm like, wow, like who are these neighbours? And one of the first things that they said, because they were kids, they had, you know, five or six kids living across the road. And one of the first things they did was invite me over to come like play soccer and muck around and play basketball. And that night they went out hunting fruit bats, spectacled flying foxes. And they would literally, like, throw sticks and stones up in the trees to knock them down, then cook them and eat them. So at the point where they were throwing the sticks in the trees, I'm like, I'm just going to go home now. I'm pretty sure this is my curfew. I don't really want to eat bat. I just moved to Cairns and I'm terrified. Yeah, well, I'm out of here. But that's – That is out there. That that is out there. That was my welcome to the tropics. Welcome to the tropics. I share that with my customers all the time.
0: That's amazing. Uh. Because up here in the tropics, it really is a different world. It's –
1: yeah, I didn't know there were bats that weren't cave bats. Like these bats are like hawks, you know, they're huge, these things that fly off into the sky every night. And as a kid, that was just wild beyond belief, like what the? Mm.
0: So you've gone from that to the desert. Like everyone listening will probably understand by now the conversations that we have here on Wild Chats just takes us far and wide. So continue on with the desert. So you've, you're there. How long were you there working oh, for, as was, a tour guide? Is that yeah, right?
1: It yeah, it was meant to be a, a six-month, Thing. Yeah. Because I was realizing and looking at my friends and looking at my lifestyle, I felt comfortable mm. and I knew that's what I didn't want. And I was looking around at everyone. I'm like, these guys are doing the same things with the same people in the same places. I don't want to do that. Mm. So I forced myself to leave and I was excited to go. But I also thought it would just be a six month thing. You know, I wasn't planning to spend my life out there, just a chapter of my life out there. But I fell in love with the prospect of guiding because. I fell in love with wildlife. I fell in love with the reptiles, you know, the yellow spotted monitors, the prurinties, the thorny devils. Like, this place is amazing. There's mulga snakes and there's incredible wildlife out there. So I fell in love with that. And then I was diving into the books hard. And that was, you know, that's a part of the job you need to learn about Uluru and Kata Jura and Kings Canyon and all of the landscape and the language, the culture. So you're learning, 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 and then you get the prospect of sharing all of that information with others. And that's where my love came. That's where I was like, okay, I feel like I could do this forever. Mm. I never want to stop doing this, learning about this. I know I'm enjoying it because I can remember everything that I read. And for me, that was the first, I'm like, oh my God, I'm remembering everything that I'm reading like this is amazing because in school I was kind of like okay I know I have to do this but it's kind of boring I'm not really that interested so I found something I was really interested in and then sharing all that information with others and seeing their face light up when they hear these cool stories whether it's a story or a fact of something they would have never known so I thought I could do this forever so six months turned into four years guiding nature and wildlife safaris in the red center
0: Wow. So what's your favorite part about that particular four years? Is always there a standout animal, standout area or moment that you experienced? Or I don't know, tell us a little bit about that because a lot of people listening are also from overseas and they hear about the Red Centre. Yeah. yeah, Oh,
1: there's so much. My brain is going, oh my God. (laughs) Definitely for me, what I think of even now, what I miss was sleeping under the stars because every single night when you finish your day and it's been a long day, you take your boots off. You've just been telling stories around the fire. And then every single night you say goodbye to that day by observing the stars every single night. And this is the red desert, people. We're talking horizon to horizon. There is nothing there. You can see every single light in the sky. and. That for feel me it now. <laughs> was like, and the way I've tried to explain this to other people is looking up at the stars every single night, you feel really small and your life and your significance on this planet feels really small. Your impact feels really small. And that gave me a sense of freedom. I felt fearless. Like, do you know what? It doesn't matter what happens in my life. This thing that I'm a part of is so massive and it's so incredible and powerful. Nothing that I can do could ever change or impact how beautiful that is. Mm. So I feel safe here and I feel appreciative and i'm going to keep doing
2: this
0: wow yeah that's freaking awesome that's cool yeah that's very cool <laughs>
2: with the stars i love that because i traveled through indonesia through komodo islands and we had this guide i've been there a few times with this same guide, and he always says to me there's only one thing better than a five-star hotel that's a <laughs> million star hotel <laughs> yeah. and that is being right. outside oh. get rid of the roof open up and yeah. uh, enjoy what's above you and the best thing is i find when i'm outdoors and camping in these remote areas is you got your swag it's open up you look up into the stars and you fall asleep with that configuration in your mind and you wake up and the whole configuration shifted that's right and that's you're right. trying to figure out how long was i asleep for that's right and it's almost like a huge clock face just slowly mm, spinning and oh right. it's, yeah, it's something's there
1: and then you, if you happen to get up for a pee at two o'clock in the morning like wow <laughs> just so you know folks that's always the best time to see that sky it's not before you go to bed it's like first thing in the morning before sunrise it's so crystal clear in the morning
0: just that feeling like what you explained that freedom yeah and you're laying there or you're sitting there by the fire or whatever it is that you're doing you've got the earth under your feet bare feet you're just Mm. really really connecting and you know, closing your eyes and feeling it is really important. And I've said this quite a few times is experiencing nature isn't just about what we see, it's what we feel. And one of the best things to do is it doesn't matter where you are and what experience you are experiencing at the time is find some moment where you can just close your eyes and you can just feel what's under your feet or on, you know, if you're sitting there and listen. Yeah. And so many things come up it's the smell you get to experience nature from a different perspective as soon as we do close our eyes that's right but i certainly relate to that feeling of freedom and yeah. what it is that you are describing right now just makes me want to pack the swag up <laughs> <and Yeah. laughs> head out now especially with all those beautiful stars it's unbelievable until you experience it i don't think you quite understand just the beauty of it yeah and It takes a bit to let go. Like
1: if you're on a holiday and, you know, I always would recommend to try and push for an extended holiday because you go into a place like that and sometimes it takes a couple of days to let go of all of your worries and all of your concerns or your business or your work. And then pretty soon you'll start to open up to everything else that's going on. Yeah. So, you know, it might've taken a few weeks for that to happen for me. And then I quickly engaged with that. And realise that I want this all the time. Mm. Yeah.
0: I feel that it's a connection back to yourself when you're in nature and you start to drop away or, you know, step away from all of those, you know, stresses and life, the life, I restart button, yeah. Yeah. The restart button,
2: remember? Yeah. It's the yeah. restart button. it's the
0: restart button. But then you do come back to yourself but you're then one with nature. You and- never
2: come back the same person, though. You always come back a little bit different. And you've carried some lessons that you learned from that restart experience. That's mm. it, absolutely.
0: Yeah, for sure. So after four years, what made you want to leave? That, by the way, because
1: <laughs> well, it was then it was then the exact reverse effect. So I left Cairns thinking that I might never leave. So I need to do something. But the desert, I knew that if I didn't leave the desert, I would never because it was very magnetic for me. Mm. And it was first the job, but then it became the people because you're out in the desert and you're like, this is the middle of Australia. And there are some really fun and crazy characters that make it out there, like some real misfit people with incredible stories. And so you start to fall in love with these people. And we, we, I was working for a big company, Adventure Tours Australia. There must have been about 30 or 40 guides. And you, you're like a you know, you're a family and, you know, some of your friends are out on the road and you get back after a seven-day trip and then some of your other friends come in and you're like, boom, you're like a family again. So you fall in love with the people and the landscape and the characters. So I realised that if I didn't leave, I just never would leave. Mm. And not like that's a problem. I just knew I still wanted to experience so many other things. And of course, I knew that guiding was for me. Like I'm going to find other ways of using these resources and using this skill set to connect people to nature because what I've experienced, I want to share. And I know that having other people love the outdoors and nature as much as me is my life goal. Mm. So if I can even give people a glimpse of what I had, then I leave this place. I leave this you know, planet in a better position than when I found it. And that's, you know, everyone needs to try and do that, right? Like that's what we all have to do, a little bit of, you know. Absolutely. Do the best you can and know that you've submitted your best self and then off you go.
0: Move on. I think that's great to be right at the top of the resume. I inspire. And you're just allowing them to experience what it is that you love and that's perfect. What a great job. Yeah. (laughs) Why would you ever want to leave that? Yeah. And there's not many people that, well, I probably shouldn't generalise like that, but there are a lot of people who don't do what it is that they love and that they're they're really passionate about and inspired about. So it is really good to see or to come across people like yourself who are so passionate, so inspired amongst themselves. They just want to share and they want to actually leave the world a better place and that's something that I really admire about you is that you actually do walk your talk and it's really, really important, especially as a tour guide, if we're out trying to connect people with nature or we're trying to inspire them about the beauty and the wondrous and the curiosity spark curiosity in them if you then go home and then you're kind of not doing what it is that you're kind of inspiring and you know what i mean it it
1: is not a job like it is a passion and it is a lifestyle it's a lifestyle yeah and not everyone will connect not everyone will feel inspired but you know you do your absolute best and you only need you know to inspire a few people to i don't know that's your reward to keep going because it's also a tough job Mm. It's really tough. you're putting yourself on the line, you know you don't wear a mask, you know you're this is me, this is who I am, mm. and you can't expect to influence everyone or change everyone. and sometimes you have hard days or you might have difficult clients. <laughs> We've all been there. That's all part of the adventure.
0: Yeah, and I, I don't know if you think this, but because I work in education and I also educate with wildlife, and it's really hard sometimes to not know the impact that we're making. And so at yeah. the start of my journey, I really wanted to know what impact I wanted that tangible kind of. You want to measure it, hey? Yeah. But then it was, I think the day that I finally dropped that attachment of needing to know, I then really just rode the waves of the whole journey, the whole reason why we actually get out there and and we educate. And I suppose not knowing it's really exciting because it's like, well, I wonder how things are when they go back. Like, you know, you can be talking to kids and they're. Wonder what they're talking about at the dinner table tonight. You know, I have a different sort of way of thinking about it, not needing to know what impact oh, did, yeah. did we help save the crocodiles today. It's more about, I wonder what it, they're chatting about tonight. That's
1: our kids don't stop talking about the animals, yeah. and they know all of their names and how old they all are and all of their characters. Yeah. We sit around the dinner table and they know them all for sure.
0: So you must take people on tours and you don't really know the impact that you've made. And you possibly might even have some people on your tour who are quite quiet and reserved, but yet they go home and they send you this most amazing review and you think, wow, I didn't realise.
1: Matt and I I had a chat about this just a couple of weeks ago, how sometimes you question your delivery method or am I being too enthusiastic or (laughs) like you can't, sometimes we're too passionate. We don't want to force people to try and love what we love. So you just have to enjoy yourself and if people are inspired by you, then that's great, but you can't really push that. That's important because at the end of the day, like people are paying for an experience and you know, you're know you the guy that's delivering that experience. But there is really no way to tell. Some people are hard to read. And yeah, like we might have a couple of people that are out bird watching for a day and they might be really sort of quiet and reserved and it's hard to tell whether they're having fun. They might ask it a few questions, but at the end of the day, they'll say, oh my God, that was
0: amazing. I had such a fantastic day.
1: Or they might send an email and that's just personalities. Mm. People have different personalities and As guides, we are very outgoing. That's just a part of our nature. We can't expect everyone to be that outgoing like we are. Do you want to hear one more funny story? Yes. I really can't help but think about all the things that happened out in the desert. When I was guiding, my biggest challenge, so not just all of the the great things that I fell in love with, but one of my biggest challenges was I was 21. So when you're 21 years old and I've just got a bus licence and I probably look like I'm 14 That's exactly what my partner, Christine would say anyway. So I look really, really young and and just think about it. Let's say you're a, you know, you're a mum, dad and two kids and this kid picks you up and he's like short shorts and this crazy shirt. And he's like, comes in and gives you a big hug. Like, come on, let's go on an adventure. Like I can imagine people would have been really apprehensive to get on my bus. But (laughs) the hardest thing was trying to build trust with people and build that rapport because I was inexperienced and I was really young and I'll never forget this one guy. Oh my goodness. This is definitely a story I've told a few times because it, it was a great it was a great achievement for me as a young man, trying to find a way to make this work. I had this guy and he was with a group of friends and that would have been, you know, twenty five to thirty-five. And this guy was trying his best to just demasculate me hard. like, who is this kid and how can you possibly assume to teach me anything about the country that I live in? And it was really, really tough. But I was confident. I had a really high self-esteem. I thought, you know what, I can do this. I'm going to win this guy. It's just going to take some time. So at one of the nights, I think it was the first night, we're camping, we've had a big day, we had a big dinner and we're sitting around the camp and he said something about, does your mother know you're here? (laughs) And this is after a day of like, you know, this mental harassment from this guy. You know, it's fun, but at the same time, like, okay, he knows that this is getting to me and he's enjoying this and I have to find a way to not let him know that it's getting to me. How do I do it? So I thought, right, just be a man, pull him aside, have a chat. So after a couple of days, I'm like, right, I have to talk to this guy. It's like, hey, bro, come here. Let's have a chat. Just want to let you know that, you know, I'm trying to do my job here. Tomorrow we're going on a six hour hike. I need to do a safety talk. You have to stop interrupting me and, you know, belittling me or whatever whatever it is that he was doing. I tried to be firm and direct and say, "Hey, this is funny. I appreciate it. I love a good laugh, so does anyone, but you have to stop doing what you're doing because even the fact that you're interrupting me when I'm talking is just disrespectful." You know? So, I thought, "Okay, he shook my hand, we had a good chat. He didn't laugh or anything." I thought, "Sweet, that's, you know, this is all good." And then it just escalated <laughs> because, you know, him and his friends, they just like, "Oh, now we've got him." And they just went hard at me. So I'm laying in the swag under the stars and I'm thinking, James, what can you do? You're a resourceful guy. You're very creative. Figure something out. So I came up with this master plan. I'm in my swag and I'm thinking all night about this (laughs) master plan. So in the morning, I've woken the group up. We're doing breakfast and I've just said, hey guys, I've just got to warn you all. I've just got this into the head office, like the camping office. And there's a fax that's come through from the office in Alice. And they've just said that some prehistoric Believed to be extinct spider has just been discovered one of the camps up the road. And it's I made up this crazy story, like it's some fire breathing, you know, it's gonna kill you in second <laughs> spider, right? And I, I got the guys in the office to print a photo of this complete BS image of a spider from probably some other country. And I wrote a whole story about it and I faxed it, laminated it, brought it into the camp, and said, Guys, this has come through. I need you all to have a look at this image, and if you see anything like this, let me know. Cause this could be deadly. And one of the things that I said,
2: This is brilliant. Have I ever
1: told you this story? Just <laughs> no, no.
2: But this so, is this right here is everything so what
1: i made up the story and I, i just wanted to plant the seed you know letting everyone know there's something dangerous out there don't be scared but if you do see this you know don't keep it to yourself on this tour which might have made my attitude a little worse i had a toothache and trying to get into a dentist appointment in alice springs takes weeks so i had the old school clove oil with me. So every now night I'd sit there and, you know, put my earbud in the clove oil and I'd dip it in my teeth because I had a toothache, couldn't get to the dentist. So just on tour out in the bush, it was the only way I could you know get a bit of pain relief. So at the bottom of this laminated paper says, if bitten by the spider, you won't know. It's like a paralyzing agent. The only thing you will feel is some numbness around your mouth and your lips. And essentially you're going to die if that happens. Right. <laughs> and I've, I'm 21. Like I made this colorful. This was a very <laughs> animated, Colourful story. <laughs> this is brilliant. So that whole day, it wasn't like the topic of discussion on the bus, but everyone was having chats about this. Oh, I wonder if we'll see it, or I wonder how you know the prehistoric spider and people are, go- you know googling and stuff. And this is really cool. So we get to the next camp, and this is where my plan, but this is it's all going to come into fruition right here. I told a couple of other people on the bus what my plan was because I needed their help. <laughs> what I plan to do is get his bag while he's having his dinner, and I got his you know toiletry bag and his toothbrush. This night at camp, I have gone and taken his toothbrush out of his bag and I've dipped it in my clove oil. Dippity, dippity, dippity. Yeah, baby. And then I have put it back in the bag. And then it was so funny because a few people from the camp knew what I was up to. And we're all sitting around waiting for this guy to brush his teeth. We must have been sinking some beers. It took like an hour for this guy to go and have a shower. We're all sitting around the camp and we're all kind of like, any time now, we're all just waiting to scare the crap out of you. And next minute, he leaves the camp and we're just, oh, my God. I'm shaking with excitement. Off he goes. (laughs) And there's this like stony path. Like when someone goes towards the bathroom, you can hear them walking along the stones, like walk on the stones. You can hear them going. So people are going to and from the toilet. You can hear it. So it must have been only like three or four minutes later. We just hear this. This guy racing over the stones. And I wish this was a video right now because like what this guy did was this most dramatic, terrified dance. He looked like a spider monkey and he was all over the place. And he was like, oh my God, oh my God oh my gosh, there's
2: something wrong. There's a spider. I got the lips. I was just
1: in the bathroom. And everyone just exploded. Everyone exploded. And the few people in camp that knew, like, our faces looked like tomatoes. We just lost it. And it he still didn't get it. For a good 30 seconds, he was still terrified and couldn't figure out why we were laughing. He was trying to tell us how serious it was. And for a moment, tried to hold myself and like grabbed a sat phone and pretend I was making an emergency call. Like, oh my God, sit down, lay down. I'll get the sat phone. And we just lost it. And he, like, we were in tears rolling <sighs> on the floor. And then of course, he's realized that I've got him really, really good. And he was the laughter of the whole camp. And you know what? The next few days, we were best friends. He <laughs> was the first guy standing behind me. He was the first guy to ask a serious question. I got him. That's how I won him over. It's like, righto, I'm going to play your game your way.
0: At the age of 21.
1: Yeah, that was cool. That's pretty intense. Yeah. <laughs> that's a lot of confidence. i never told my uh, operation managers that, but <laughs> hopefully they never hear this. Yeah, that was cool.
0: I'm sure there are so many stories as a tour guide because humans are not the easiest Species? mammals to deal with. <laughs> yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's right. They talk back.
0: Oh, man. Yeah, they oh, opinions. Man. Uh, we've even got Max having a laugh there. Good on you, Max. <laughs> All right, so that's a great story. Thanks for sharing that, James. How did we get here, though? How are you sure in North Queensland? That's yeah, the question I want you to get know. I had to make North it
1: this Queensland. far. Well, well, oh, yeah, yeah, so, well, I know you made it. So where we left off was that I fell in love with the prospect of guiding. Cairns was, you know, I went to school in Cairns, like high school. So I this always felt like home. You know, Alice was only meant to be a six-months thing. Mm. And after four years, I was like, okay, I'm done with this now. This has been great. I've made some fantastic friends. A lot of them still really good things sorry, really good friends. So I moved back and I wanted to guide larger safaris. I wanted more, I want more remoteness. I want more intensity. I want more challenges. So I started working for Oz Tours Safaris in Cape York Peninsula. Mm-hmm. So 7, 12, 14 to 16 day safaris up there in, in Cape York. And that was Again, it was a. I guess it's a similar experience to what I had in Alice Springs, but Cape York is a completely different mm. ballgame, completely different wildlife and landscapes and, you know, the four-wheel driving challenges. And the journey of driving to the tip of Australia, that was really, really exciting. So that's where I gained a lot more confidence to start my own business. That's what helped me believe in myself enough to think, okay, do you know what? I'm good at this. I believe that I'm now good enough at my job that I can go out on my own and do this and benefit from my own passion instead of someone else benefiting from my hard work.
0: A very quick announcement to make that I'm so excited. Our home education virtual portal is up and running and you can visit that at www.australianwildlifeeducation.com and if you are a parent or you know other parents who have children ages 4 to 12, this one is specifically for them and they get to learn more about Australian wildlife. Love that. So how old yeah. well were you when you started your
1: uh, business? Five years ago. <laughs> how old am I now? 34? 34, there you go. must have been, you 29. 29?
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. About that. So in between 21 and 29, you just continued to work for other companies. That's right. You grew, you, well, obviously going from the desert to then Cape York. Yeah, so four years in the desert,
1: Cape York.
0: Not relearn, but learn new, totally different area of Australia. Exactly. And then you're like, I'm going to go out and do it myself.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I knew that this is something that I was going to do for a long time. And the big inspiration was that working as a guide, up here in Far North Queensland and and going out on on day tours and multi-day tours, I looked around at the scenery and I looked around at the companies and the guides and I thought, I love this place. It deserves better ambassadorship.
0: Absolutely. So
1: that was it for me. Mm. It's like, you know, this place is unbelievable. You know, we have two World Heritage Areas right next to each other. We have the oldest continually growing rainforest in the world with some of the most primitive flowering plants Mm. and endemic species And I thought there are some brilliant operators and guides out there, but from what I could see, I'm like, this just needs better representation. And we want to, you know, that's one of our business goals is to try and open that up for better representation, to allow us to show off our region to the world and show people how amazing this place really is and how amazing we are, not just as guides, but just as Australians. You know, we are proud of ourselves and what we can accomplish. Yeah. And what we can achieve out here with our customers is really tremendous we have an opportunity to showcase something that other people can't you know mm. like we almost have an obligation to do that
0: Ooh, i yeah. like that
1: like if you're going to show people from all around the world your backyard do a good job do a good do job. do your best do your best yeah
0: Absolutely. And you do an amazing job. And Matt actually does some work with you. He goes off and...
1: He gets the maddest reviews. Absolutely. <laughs> when we were talking about how do you know, you know, how do you see that reward or that feedback? I'm like, well, Matt gets like
2: two-page long TripAdvisor reviews. There was one particular I'm pretty sure job. he pays There the was guests. one particular yeah. tour, okay? <laughs> whatever was- Whatever I'm paying him, he pays them, I'm sure. About. I remember picking the guests up from Cairns. We're heading up to the Daintree. And as we're crossing the Barren River, 10 minutes in, that's all. There hasn't been peep. (laughs) I am talking my lungs out and fishing for topics. Nothing, not a bite. Could not believe it. I'm thinking, this is going to be a long 12 hours. (laughs) And And then you start to get a little bit of feedback, a little bit of feedback, a little bit of feedback, and then all of a sudden, boom, wildlife's on casseroes, boys, forest dragons, dingoes, snakes, peppermint stick insects. The, the tour was out of control. Not much talk. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is great. This is lovely. Next thing you know, we're getting reviews that are like two pages long, as oh. you said, and these people still talk to me and yeah. contact me and tell me that that was the best tour they've had in Australia. Yet here we are thinking, oh, my goodness. <laughs> are these people <laughs> do, do enjoying it? Or I am I pulling their fingernails out? Like, It's really, really difficult oh, to judge man. it sometimes. And,
1: oh, Every, I think everyone that was on the tour that day sent an individual oh. – Review, and oh, That massive. tour
2: was textbook. Yeah, it, it felt like you were in the bush with a bag of animals. Just, going, there's just like, there's one, there's one, there's, there's one. one. We had a dingo, like a golden dingo, run out in front of us, followed by a black dingo uh, running behind that, and like animatronics, <laughs> animatronics. Oh, it was unbelievable, unbelievable. And, and, f- yeah. and explain
0: <laughs> the difference with the dingoes. Like everyone's like, oh, what? Like the black, you know, explain. Yeah,
2: you know, North Queensland, we've got the rainforest dingo. Traditionally, a black-coloured one, a little bit different to what most people would see as a a, normal dingo, so to speak. So, yeah, you get the gold ones in the rainforest, but you also get the black ones as well.
1: That was a hell of a day. Well done.
2: Yeah, as I said, that was a very, very lucky day. And that's the thing. Sometimes in tours, you've got to create your own luck, and sometimes it's up to the tour gods that are up there delivering the animals for you. That's
1: what's great about having personalities like yours. Because you don't always see cassowaries and bingos and forest dragons and everything. So someone that can interpret the forest for what it is and Mm. tell stories with your own culture and your own personality, that can still create a fantastic day. You know, I've uh, just the other day I was up in the Daintree and one of the cruise operators was coming in and he hadn't seen any crocodiles. And, you know, he's got about 20 people on the boat. The customers come in and you always feel sorry this time of the year. It's tricky to see the crocodiles in the wild. So it's very warm the water is warm crocodiles don't have to expose themselves so long story short this boat pulls in and every single person was standing and applauding, standing and applauding. And they were applauding for the stories and the personality that they'd just witnessed for that hour. And they didn't see, you know, I think yeah. they might have seen a puppy with frog mouth and a couple of, you know, tree snakes, no crocodiles, but they loved the character and the personality. Mm. And that's storytelling. And that's what you do, Matt, really, really well. Good storyteller.
2: Yeah. Thank you very much. The thing that I have also seen of our rainforest tours when we head up to the Daintree, It's not about, yeah, the Boyd's Forest Dragons, the Cassaries, the crocodiles, all that kind of stuff, which is a bonus. But the best feedback I've received is all about the story of the Battle of the Rainforest, the competition for light and the competition for coverage. And And that's what brings it alive for people. Exactly. Because I remember one of the reviews that we got was a bloke talking about how he loved the epic battle that is happening right in front of us. And most people don't know. Yeah. You've got the waiter a while that is just the dominant plant and he just climbs and grabs on everyone else and makes his way up like some creature yeah. that's climbing through the rainforest. And then you've got these old wise trees that are standing over everyone watching the show take yeah, place. Yeah, been there, and done that. When people receive that story that we were just talking about, then they can really appreciate. And it doesn't matter what you see for the rest of the day because that right there That's is capturing their fascination, but also their, what's the word I'm looking for? Their imagination. Yeah, okay? but because you know what that is? Something.
1: That's interpretation. That's yeah. exactly right. So what you're describing yeah. is the key word. You can sit there and reel off a bunch of facts. But interpreting what's going on around you, that's what you do as a great tool guide is interpret. And you see the Wadawild and the Strangler figs and everything is coming to life and everything is competing for that, you know, 10% of sunlight. So all of a sudden, instead of looking off and saying, oh, there's a bunch of trees, people are looking off and going, oh my God, look at this guy fighting on the side of that one. How many years is it going to take for that tree? Oh, that one there might fall down. This guy's going to explode and grow in that open light. And all of a sudden they can use their imagination to see what's going on in the land forest. Absolutely. So you've given them not just a story, you've given them the skills to see for a more for a better perspective on what's actually going on. So you've given them that perspective. How cool is that? And they'll, love,
2: they'll keep that forever. I love the one that, you know, we're creating fascination and all this kind of stuff. But you see, is it the raffia four or the vine that's got quite a thick... Oh, it's um, like tattooed lip? onto the tree. Yeah, it's yeah. grabbing onto it. And you see this vine that is making its way up to the top of the forest, but it's actually on the wrong tree. The tree tree yeah. is, is a stump It's like 5 metres high and, and it's 5 metres <laughs> yeah. high And you just uh, And you're thinking You poor bugger <laughs> yeah. You have spent 10 years Climbing this thing With the dream Of reaching the stars oh. And you're not Going to make it that far yeah. And the guests Get really sad <laughs> <laughs> They're dead set upset for this poor little vine. But he doesn't. He thinks he's going to reach the canopy. (laughs) Yeah, unfortunately, he does. But you know, this is—it's crazy. And that's the thing. Like, you know, I appreciate the compliments, but working for you is a huge thing. Like, learning the interpretation of the wet tropics and being on tour with you and, and understanding that kind of stuff has just been a godsend. Like, I have learned so much from yourself, and and I definitely don't. Throw compliments around very often, but your guiding and your interpretive skills are the best off senior North Queensland. Hey, Straight up. thanks, mate. And you can, do, oh, you can
0: that's take huge. that one, that's take huge. that one in
1: on
2: the test. I'll give, you big, I'll give you a big kiss once this is finished. <laughs> oh, <it's true. laughs> All right, we've gone so far off track here. Oh, I, <laughs> sorry.
0: No, i you think I read a little bit ab- Absolutely perfect. With your tour, just yeah. tell you because you've just explained some amazing things, and both of that storytelling just then is complete a part of who you are and what you stand for your morals your values your walk your talk so tell us a little bit about your tour company yeah maybe some of the areas that you actually visit in north queensland and how people can actually find you because i think at the moment this is january 2021 so things are still restrictive but i think this is such a beautiful time for australians to come and see some of their own land their own country sorry yeah, and experience some of this amazing area of northern Australia so
1: that's right this I mean we as Australians we do understand our own backyard but this is far north queensland this mm-hmm. is savannah meets rainforest meets Great Barrier Reef there are mm-hmm. some real Surprises up here. Mm. Most Australians I meet, when you say that there's tree kangaroos, they go, "What do you mean, tree kangaroos? Like in the zoo? Real tree kangaroos that are endemic to the Wet Tropics, and there are two and one. The Bennett's lives north of the Daintree River." And the Lumholtz lives to the south, so up on the Apid and Tablelands. And these are incredible creatures that you need to go out with an experienced guide to find them. So absolutely, for Australians that are looking to travel in their own backyard, there are some surprises that we can show you, 100%. And for everyone else from overseas, we're sorry, this is the dreaming phase. It's what we're calling the dreaming phase. So yeah, keep that activity going online. And when international borders reopen, we will be here with... Open arms. I guess the niche of our business, we've kind of covered it in all of the other stories, it's small groups, wildlife focus, and high quality interpretation with world class hospitality. Mm. That is what we do. That is our niche. There are hundreds of tour operators, and everyone has a unique selling point, and that's ours. That's what we do. And it's very personalized and very tailored to suit our demographic and their target species, for example, or the experiences that they want to have. Mm. So we don't just take a booking. We talk to you. What is it? Why did you travel halfway around the world? Or why have you just driven up from Melbourne? What is it that you're here for? Let me help you get that. You know, like what is your desire? So that's what we do. That's what our business is about. It's about achieving those dreams for families, for couples photographers, bird watchers, or just an average nature enthusiast. So we have five products, different tailored trips that we run that it's, I guess it's like a sample that we might change specifically for a target group. And they focus around, all of them focus around nature and wildlife. So we do a tree tour that starts in the afternoon and goes through into the evening. Why, Matt? Do we go out in the rainforest into the evening?
2: So we can see nocturnal animals, James. Nocturnal
1: animals, mate. You've done quite a few of those trips and those animals that you see on those evening tours you're not going to see them during the day. Yeah, And, you know, we have a very warm climate. I'm sitting here right now, quite sticky and humid. I keep moving my legs off the chair because of the sweat. It's a beautiful, warm time of the year. So animals that have fur, that are blessed with that beautiful, warm blanket at birth, they would prefer to come out even in the evenings. They have wonderful eyesight, big ears, and they're active at night. So we need to get out at night in order to see them. So that's our Daintree Tour. It's very unique. We're the only company offering a day tour into the rainforest at night. So we do get back. At about 10, 11 o'clock at night, we have bird watching tours. We have a remote area that's about a two-hour drive, an hour and 45 minutes from Cairns, a remote access area where we have exclusive access to a 5,000-acre private reserve. That is tremendous. Yeah. So we go through this gate. We're in this incredible this wetlands that's dominated by eucalypts and savannah and pandanus and freshwater landscapes with huge lagoons and creeks where we can go exploring for frill neck lizards and brolgas and all of these wonderful birds and lizards. And we have complete private access to this site. So, for bird watching and photography enthusiasts, that is tremendous. Mm. We're bird watching right now, aren't we? Yes. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Spangled drongo. We're watching, <laughs> <the> <laughs> drongo we're watching the
1: drongo fly. <laughs> fast. So, yeah, we have bird watching, photography tours, and of course, the Atherton table I cannot speak highly enough of the Tablelands. I think the Daintree National Park and the Daintree Rainforest has a real international recognition because of the Bloomfield blockade and the riots that went on around when I was born, you know, 1985, 1986. So I think the Daintree became a household name from that point on. And from reading books, I, you know, I was just a baby, but from reading into history, I think the Daintree is so well known because of that period and that, that massive discussion it was very controversial very political whereas the atherton tablelands which is the high altitude sister of the daintree doesn't get quite as much recognition these days and i think it is a tremendous area to go exploring vast Extinct volcanic craters That are filled up with fresh rainwater Where you can find the Australian platypus Where you can find eastern water dragons Where there are great cormorants Hopefully Matt will see one one day Great cormorants <laughs> Actually
2: yeah Just to <laughs> You clarify, did get one I did get one So yeah thank you We'll get to that story <laughs> That's later That's a reference to <laughs> a bird competition <laughs> We'll come to um, that later
1: And then you have You know this beautiful historic town Of Yungaburra And the history of dairy Around Melanda And all of these incredible areas Where you can go And not only is it wildlife There's wonderful food and wine Areas mm. to go and visit but I think the, the massive ancient strangler fig trees with the tree kangaroos and the platypus, I literally can't get enough time yeah. up there. I go up there on my days off all the time, as do you guys, I'm sure. Yeah. You guys were up there just recently. Yeah. Yeah. It I was is- actually
0: going to ask you where your favourite
1: place was and yeah oh it's it's tough i would have to say one of the places that i cannot get enough of is the cathedral fig tree mm. on the Atherton tablelands because the morning chorus there it's for those of you to try and give you a visual perspective this tree is 30 meters in diameter at the base it doesn't look like a trunk because it's a tree that was you know it's essentially grown almost like an epiphyte like a small plant growing on an old tree that has strangled the host over you know, potentially 800 to 1,000 years, and it's dominated the whole canopy. It looks like something out of Jurassic Park. And for animals and plants, this is like an apartment building with layers where there are so many species of plants and animals that all live in this one tree. So walking up to that tree, you can hear whipbirds, you can see the musky rat kangaroos, and then you can see pied monarchs, and your ears are going, oh, my gosh. And as a guide with the knowledge, you can start interpreting in your mind this massive story of what's going on around you so i could spend hours there love that spot and it's on the atherton tablelands only about a, a 90 minute drive from cairns yeah so that's yeah i'm a sucker for the tablelands
0: mm, absolutely love it so what's your if you could choose one animal oh easy what would it be
2: I wonder if matt can guess what try and have can? a guess your favorite animal yeah in north queensland yeah Ooh, i wonder if this is gonna be interesting oh. <laughs> I would, i'll give you have oh. three no, okay, yeah, I'll have three guesses. My <laughs> well, first guess is going to be the Southern Cassowary. Okay. The next guess is going to be just purely based on the fact that it's my favourite animal. I'm going to say the Soul of the Crocodile, <laughs> which it's definitely not yours. Uh, you just oh. wanted to get it out there that it's your
1: favourite animal. That's fine. That's pretty much it. That's a- oh, Your favourite animal. You haven't watched enough of our videos. See, uh, the videography we put out during COVID, you need to go rewatch them. There's some clues in there
0: there's some clues Boyd's Forest favorite. Dragon Hey, Well yeah. done you are, I was so <laughs>
2: literally just about to say Boyd's Forest <laughs> Dragon I am breaking up with you Your I know romance you- is oh, done man. He's got a Boyd's Forest Dragon tattooed on him oh, Of course I it's I his favorite it's so animal. easy it's <laughs> so Of course easy. it's his favourite animal You uh, say number you Yeah, yeah say I'm, number I'm not going to lie I completely forgot about that but, <laughs>
1: So for those of you back home folks the Boyd's Forest Dragon is endemic to the wet tropics It is the most amazing creature It's an ectothermic reptile that can spend all of its day in the shade and it retains that ambient temperature in the in the atmosphere. And my favorite part, well my favorite characteristic of the dragon is that it hides in plain sight all the time. You can be walking along a pathway and just a couple of meters from you, maybe two meters off the ground, is this animal you'll see nowhere else in the world. And it's right there for you to see. And the only reason, the only way you'll find it is if you're really looking into the forest. And that's what I love. If you're just walking along the path and you're, you know, just oh I want to get this done, you won't see it. So it's there for those that are truly engaging with the rainforest. And I love that.
0: Absolutely. And that's one thing I want to say about Lake Berean. Yeah, we, I was just about to say that. did the walk and you could walk around and it literally took us hours and hours because <laughs> well, we're so slow. It's a
2: background story. Stop tonight. at everything. <laughs> we so, stop well, at everything. Jody did a walk around it with a friend and nothing. Oh, yeah. You guys would listen to a bit of music or something and go for a Saw walk. Saw nothing, yeah. Took him an hour and, you yeah, know. Cause yeah, because I was with someone yeah. who
0: isn't necessarily, like, keen to find or to pull back leaf litter and have a look mm. at a little bump. We go in. there
2: sometimes for a run. We run yeah. around. It. Yeah, and we you know, do it in. Whereas
0: then Matt an and hour. I. And then, goes yeah, we went there.
2: for a walk and I think it took like two and a half hours <laughs> because I stopped at every single musky rat kangaroo. Yeah. But there
0: was the anti-kindness. And you see, you don't see these little fellas because mammals, they they, well, they scurry away pretty yeah, they're quickly, quick and but bleeding. we see something in the corner of our eye and then we literally just grab each other and say, stop, stop, shoot, and listen. And, and, and like, quick, and- take a photo. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, my settings are wrong. My camera lens is too big. Oh, what's going on? It's too dark. Oh, it's
2: <laughs> and then it's gone. And then Joseph, did you get a photo? <laughs> what? No. Look at the size of your camera and you can't get a good photo. Why do you carry that it around? It was too close to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but Bo- Lake Berean, I'm going to rate that place very highly yeah. on my places to visit in North Queensland. Absolutely. Lake Berean is mm. sensational. Musky rat kangaroos, antichinus, Boyd's forest dragons. Ulysses bottom birds, you name it. Yellow-breasted boat bills. It's a bird by by the way. There is so much biodiversity and endemic species found in that one spot. I absolutely love it. Well yeah. you
0: guys spent a lot of time up there doing your uh yeah, challenge.
2: We did. <laughs> Segway, yeah. James, oh. take it away
1: friend. <laughs> well it was Matt's idea for, for 2020. And I think yourself and Andre <laughs> you started the challenge the year before. And the, the whole idea of this challenge, and I'm very thankful to have been a part of it, was to observe a site as many Queensland birds as possible in the calendar year. So what a great challenge. <laughs> During COVID, when you can't get out, there were days I'm running along with Kelvin Marshall, how are you, mate, with the camera, pretending to exercise, because the only way we're allowed to go over the house is exercise. So we're like running and pretending to take photos. Did you see
0: that bird? I'm running with my camera. I didn't see that bird. You know you can um, walk for
1: exercise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're being theatrical. You know, we're tour guides. We're full of crazy. Yeah, the bird challenge was a fantastic way of pushing ourselves to learn more and getting outdoors, and learning about the birds that we might not quite push hard enough to see, you know, like, oh, it's just a little, oh, it's gone, I missed it. So really using those binoculars, and having a really good look, and taking your time, and of course, we literally went everywhere in Queensland,
2: except for Bar That was the last, <laughs> the final frontier, there's a story there, Joni, don't, oh, don't spit your drink out. I'll never forget this. Place. One day, we're going to go there for a <laughs> beer at the local pub. Oh, Matt calls me up, <laughs>
1: And he says to me, I've got this plan. It's like, I've been looking on eBird, I've been looking for a spot, and I've found this place, and there's lots of birds there. It's in the middle of the nowhere. It's called Bar Cauldron.
2: I don't even know <laughs> what if that's how you say you... the place. <laughs> probably not. The oh, people at Bar Cauldron are probably saying, well, actually, it's the Cauldron.
1: <laughs> oh, it's so funny. And I had to get the map out and find this place. I must have spelled it wrong about 40 times. It's west times, of Rockhampton. I, I kept looking for south it. South
2: of Cairns, north of anywhere, it's in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> middle of nowhere.
1: Oh, but between the three of us, we went everywhere. You were up in Cowan oh. and we were- No, Pompereau, Cowan Yama, Lockhart River, Kato, River. Lockhart River yeah, Lake Lakefield Field. National Park, Iron Range, down in uh, Town Common in Townsville and all yeah. west of there and-
2: uh, to Woodstock. Woodstock's not named after the album.
1: We both went to East Queensland. <laughs>
2: yeah. Oh, mate. And, uh, Good
0: way to see a part of the country. What a great oh. way <laughs> of, challenge of between out. Two very competitive. I, I do oh. have a
2: confession to make. I work as a police officer. And I did put my hand up for as many deployments <laughs> as possible to anywhere in Queensland. They're like, all right, we need someone in the Indigenous community of Pompera. Hand up. I can do that. I can do that. I'm looking at the map. Yep. Okay. Yep. That's going to be a good spot to go. <laughs> Yellow, uh, red-headed honey eaters living in the mangroves. That is the place I want to be. Pompera. Wow. And then, all right, guys, we need someone in Cowan Yama. Yep. I'm there. <laughs> Straight up See, that Kawanama. was You
1: had advantage there. I did. But I had a bit of an advantage because normally when we're busy because of COVID, we were shut down for a lot of it. So I had a lot of spare time, which, you know, I guess if we didn't have the challenge going, I would have been like sitting around twiddling my thumbs looking for projects, but we had this fantastic project going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it would have been very hard to catch you. And I did have to absolutely.
0: So I just want to make a side note here. We're sitting here also with your beautiful partner, Christine. And usually we kind of, someone says, oh, where's Matt or where's James? Oh, they're out looking for birds. <laughs> the <laughs> so- most
2: massive thing you can do right? <laughs>
0: so christine what are they actually not going to have their bird challenge this year so Like, well, because
1: you you one, get to see right? so much more of us I won by no, ten birds. No, no,
0: we're birds. thinking of something else. You can think of. Well, You want us to many get out more? Can you
2: oh, find? I get it. I get it. Oh, oh, so, so, they oh, frogs, a, so they enjoyed having us. So they enjoyed not having us around. Why are we not doing it this year? Why well are we not doing it this year.
1: I think it was around November. We got to a point. We we're so fatigued and tired. We didn't want to go birding. Anymore. We had to go because we both want to win. But we're like, I don't want to go burning anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I'm tired. I haven't slept. I've been up all night looking for hours. I have got to go to work. <laughs>
0: and you won, by the way. Matt still uh, really upset about
2: it. Very salty about that. Now,
1: so should we tell our audience, Matt, what the loser has to do for the winner? Well,
2: I think we should talk about first, why did we do the bird challenge? I mean, that's a very good question, right? Why? Mm. I'm trying to avoid the fact that I lost. Yes, so I'm trying to do <laughs> a little bit yeah. of a segue around that I saw one. saw what you did there. But why are we doing the 2020 bird challenge? Tell mm. us, James, why did we do that challenge?
1: Oh. And what did you learn? Mate, I personally, I, just, I learned a lot more about the birds of queensland and certainly in southeast queensland i've never been bird watching down there so for me it was a massive eye-opener to the species in the southern part of the state it was just a learning and educational experience i didn't even have a good pair of binoculars and i didn't even have a good bird book so for us it's i think we see a huge future in bird watching like personally and for fnq nature tours that's an industry we really want to get into so i see ourselves in a really good position 10 years from now after lots more challenges so a few more gray hairs. that was what i got out of it i wanted the education and it was fun you know i like a challenge i like having fun with my friends and we turned our passion into something fun to do with each yeah. other which was great I had really good laughs so what about you? What, did you what do you think
2: it's funny because i remember I started this job in Port Douglas as a police officer, right? So I worked in Cairns for four years, transferred to Port Douglas, and I remember seeing in the office, looking out the window at this bird, and I can't remember how it came up, but I started chatting to one of the other officers about bird watching. I said, oh, you know, Port Douglas is fantastic, a lot of birds around. And she goes, oh, yeah, we got all these bird watches, you know, they wear socks and sandals at the same time. <laughs> and and the they weird wear, hats. Yeah, they wear a vest and a hat with like 16 pockets on it, and they walk around with a pair of binoculars and a book tripping over things. <laughs> yeah. And I'm thinking, is that the stereotype? We don't all look bird? like that. What's-? We don't all look like that. And here... And I'm thinking, Struth, we're not like that. Yeah.
0: We're, sometimes we're, we're I'm just younger. in bodies
2: and in binoculars. <laughs> yeah, we're younger. And I think changing that perspective of what a yeah. bird watcher is, so to speak, because you're not going out there going, "Oh yes, yellow throated miner, tick." You know, we're going out there and going, "Wow, look at this individual character, and what is his position in the environment, mm-hmm. and what is his role in the ecosystem, but what does his day look like?" Hmm. For a yellow-throated miner, mind you, it is wake up in the morning, Make yell at all so your much mates, your noise. absolutely go off, and then eat as much sugar as humanely <laughs> possible <laughs> out of as many flowers as you can. Yell at your mates and then go... Swimming. Run circles around Matt. <laughs> Yeah. And then just as the sun's going down, quickly go nuts and then fall asleep. <laughs> that's the day of a yellow-throated miner. just to clear that up.
0: I want to do a side note here in regards to looking for birds. Because now, before you were a police officer, by the way, you were a reptile keeper in the zoo. So that's a huge, big change in career. But you were all always about reptiles and so when you would go out looking for reptiles a lot of the time you were driving in the evening hoping that you would find them on the side of the road to me that's not necessarily getting out in nature so now all of a sudden you guys are looking for birds and you are forced to go and stand so quiet and just wait in the middle of the rainforest or On the edge of the estuary or something like that, where you are actually amongst and feeling it. Getting (laughs)
1: smashed by mosquitoes. Yes.
0: (laughs) But you're experiencing nature. You're connecting with it in a totally different way. And being a bird watcher, I feel that that takes you to the next level.
2: Oh, how excited did we get? On Mount Lewis, when we saw a danger oh, retail, yeah. because you're out there looking for particular types of birds, but yeah, you, as you said, Jody, you're taking in the whole environment and all the characters. That's right. So it definitely opened up Pandora's box for me because before I'd be driving along and go, Oh, what's that? Oh, it's a nightjar, <laughs> and I'm looking for death adders, you know, but now <laughs> I'm like, Oh my goodness, it's something, <laughs> and then I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm absorbing myself into it. But we go to Mount Lewis. And we're both saying, love to see an owl. Yeah. Love to. And then the best animal of the night was a danger ringtail, the most gorgeous us. possum. And that's the thing. Yeah, we're out there looking for a particular type of animal, but our eyes are so far wider now.
1: And viewing birds in the wild is a great way to view the health of the region. It's a great way to monitor the health and botanical wealth of a rainforest, of a savannah, because you can see the quality of the lifestyle these birds live, what they're feeding on you know, is there a lot of habitat loss here? Are they experiencing a lot of human impact in this area? Because of the noise of the sugarcane farming, can these birds communicate with each other? Mm. So out there in the bush, watching birds is a great way for you to monitor your, you know, the birds connection to what's going on, Mm. which is cool, which is really cool. Absolutely, Um, And definitely that's a massive tag as well. Looking at any animal is a great way to connect to their habitat and understand how they experience the world. That's mm. a really good point. I like that.
0: Yeah. So, what was your number of species? Oh, called? yeah, we got to go to the uh,
1: end now. This is the 3, part of that Three nineteen like. for Matt. Three twenty nine for myself. I must say,
2: how did you win? That's the question. What did you do at the very end of the year to win? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Poor Christine. <laughs> I
2: lugged my partner out
1: 13, how was the drive? 13 hour drive. Christmas. We literally left. Did you on go to Christmas? Did we leave on Christmas Day or Christmas no, Eve? Christmas, Christmas Eve. Eve. Christmas Eve night. We drove from about five o'clock in the afternoon on Christmas Eve. I don't know how she let me do this. And we were heading out to Bujamala National Park, which is also known as Lawn Hill. And we stayed at the Ad- Adelsgrove Grove Camping Area. Magic. We saw this massive Storm, this really incredible storm on the way. And of course, uh, I tried my best not to turn it into a bird watching experience. (laughs) But I probably didn't do a very good job because being out there, we were just surrounded by new species. And I kept saying to Matt and Andre, I was like,
0: I'm not seeing much yet. We're just
1: enjoying the creeks and the water, but I'm going to sneak some birding in tomorrow. (laughs) I went down and took some time out. Christine was having some downtime, having a chill session. And I found myself the purple-crowned fairy wren, one of my highlights for the year. So, yeah, we literally drove 13 hours west of Cairns. Out into the middle of nowhere, i tell you what I must say, we loved our time out there. The guys that are running the place out there, they said that they're fully booked for the entirety of 2021. So wow. don't jump on their website there. Every single boat tour, every campsite, every cabin is booked out for the year. Okay. Jump straight on 2022 because that place deserves attention it's gorgeous I've always
0: wanted to head out that way so mm. let's do it for 2022 I reckon yeah we'll plan
1: yeah. for the
2: next, for a year away
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> or if you like camping the national park you can camp there mm. which is not far down from Adele's Grove oh, so but I definitely put that swag. on your bucket list
0: mm, it's added so James thank you so much for hanging out now we could talk forever so we will get you back another cool. time yeah I'm not sure if we got through all of your packages but Everyone can find we you on... We covered the on...
1: Yeah, jump on FNQ Nature Tours. Just Google Far North Queensland Nature Tours. You'll find everything we do there. We've put a lot of effort into our website and our visual content. So jump on Instagram,
2: YouTube. Facebook,
1: YouTube. We have all of the social avenues. So check us out. Big love to everyone out there. Get out there in nature. Thank you so much for your time. We've got Amazing. one
2: thing we haven't covered. Oh, what is it? Oh. What does the loser of the bird challenge have to do? Oh, yeah, got to yeah, yeah, it you tried to avoid that. <laughs> oh, good on you. But yeah, here I am bringing it back. I don't know. Who tells who? You go. Okay, okay. Because I lost, I need to carve a wooden bird for the winner, which is James. And it needs to be of the choice. The bird, species. Of, bird of my choice, yeah. The species needs to be the choice of the winner. So please tell everyone who's listening to this podcast, what am I going to be carving for you?
1: Matt will be carving an endemic species up here, which we often find at Lake Breen on the Atherton Tablelands, which is a Victoria's rifle bird. Beautiful bird of paradise. Big thanks to David White from Solar Whisper Wildlife. Mm. He's going to supply you with some red cedar he's got in
2: his backyard. But I must also note, this isn't just you know, a couple of legs, a beak, oh, and no, and a body. Oh, no, 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 no. What it, is this it, for a
1: It will be a male displaying its oh. courtship display, which means its beautiful wings spread above its head. I have no idea how you're going to make this happen. Yeah. I, just,
2: <laughs> I, I just don't even have the wood yet. I just, just can't be, wait. Just be honest, how long have I got? I'm thinking You've three years. You've got a year. You've oh, got a a year. year. Is that all? A... Oh, okay. Well, it's year. only January 20. We're yeah. 20 days in. <laughs> so I've got 300 and something days well, left. You better
0: get on to David.
2: I've got this. That's David it. has reached out to me and literally went, It's here if you need it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and we knew <laughs> what we were talking about. Oh,
2: Are yeah. you kidding me? This is a reality. Yeah, I'm it's gonna reality have to now. It's going to happen. And there was a year of banter there where I was full of confidence.
1: <laughs> a, a year? No kidding. That was 11 months of just you. I'm
2: going to crush <laughs> you guys. <laughs> Not even beat you, but just destroy your soul. I'm going to get. Anyway, you let us have it for eleven months, but well, there it is. Well, you know what? Once this bird is carved, delicately carved, I may head over to Indonesia when the borders open and uh, live with a, a village of people that are traditional wood carvers and learn their art, but I will do it. I might even travel to South America and learn from the blow dart people of uh, Ecuador awesome. and learn their skills as well of the rainforest. But I will get there and I will carve this bird for you. And the question I've got is how many feathers did you want on oh, the left hand to the right, like symmetrical or a bit of oh, character my goodness. in there? Everyone, oh everyone, I'm sure
0: you can see on Instagram the picture of that or yeah. maybe we won't want to post it i'm not sure but oh, it's going to you, be quality thank you yeah. so much james thanks for guys coming. i'm going to shush matt up now that was a so great trip actually, through we're memory head lane to lunch let's go hang out and thank have, you have a chat over lunch and yeah awesome. everyone can find you on all of the socials i'll put the website and the links in the podcast notes but otherwise i look forward to chatting with you again soon thanks you, jody mate.
1: thanks matt Bye, bye
0: Wow, that was a very interesting chat. I certainly love spending time with James because he's such a great storyteller. So I'm not sure about you, but I was sitting at the edge of my seat there wanting to know more. If you do want to reach out to James, you can find him on all of the socials, Instagram, Facebook, and also his YouTube channel, which is amazing. Or you can find him on his website, fnqnaturetours.com.au. I will put all those links in the podcast notes, so please follow it from there. However, I just want to quickly say that we are coming into a really tough year here and I'm sure it's worldwide but I'm just speaking personal for us up here in Cairns, North Queensland. We are in the middle of our wet season and it usually starts to fire up around about now which is January and we are in January 2021 by the way. So naturally that is actually our quiet season for tourists. So if you are Australian and you are travelling around Australia please come and see us in North Queensland. Don't be scared of the rain. It is magical. Trust me, you can still go out into the rainforest you can still experience some of the beauty up here and you get to see a different perspective then maybe come back in the drier season and then see it from that way but if you do want to come up i highly recommend you always find a tour guide because a lot of the as we have spoken about in our podcast with james a lot of the times you don't always know what you're looking at a tour guide can really bring in the storytelling of the history the information of the animals that you might be looking at some really cool stuff about the e ecosystems and plus you get to really connect with well a local so don't forget if you're coming up please reach out to James from fnq nature tours otherwise you'll be hearing from me next week in the next wild chat take care everyone